0: a blessing, wasn't it? I like how them songs went together. When Jesus steps in, you'll know it's real. Amen. If I could somehow just squeeze the message into all that tonight, because it's about sin and death and judgments, what I'm preaching on. But what a blessing the singing has been. Amen. And uh, thank you all so much for coming and singing for us tonight. Well, if you'll open your Bible this evening to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, page number 1281, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I'd like to read some verses here from our text this evening and then just ask you to leave your Bibles open and to follow me as we kind of work through this, uh, this these verses tonight. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Again, while you're t- turning there and finding your place there, I think Brother Jonathan has one of those prayer sheets uh, there on the computer tonight for you to maybe download or whatever you do with that. And uh, you can get all the prayer lists that I've just gone over here a moment ago and then the outline And if you want to fill that out as we go through it tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And just a word again about our service Sunday morning at 10 o'clock here on the live stream and then back again Sunday afternoon at 5.30. And uh, so we invite you to join us at that time, if you will. Well, let's read tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to begin reading with verse number 10. And if you'll just bear with me, I'd like to read the rest of the chapter and then leave your Bibles open and follow me. Verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, and afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, and Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I need some great verses tonight, and I don't even—I don't even attempt—I don't, I don't even make a, an attempt tonight to tell you that I'm really going to uh, do a good job of expounding on these verses tonight. But if you'll bear with me, I got just two or three things I'd like to say out of this text tonight that I hope the Lord will use to be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for the music, the singing tonight. Lord, thank you for stepping into our mess. And Lord, because you stepped in and changed our life, we know now that it's real. And I'm so glad to know that. I pray now you'd bless your word tonight as we look at this text together. And I pray the Spirit of God would be pleased. To, Lord, just put some truths in our hearts from the Word of God that will help us as we live out these last days. And God, may the Spirit of God uh, help us tonight, to give us an understanding and enlightenment to the great verses that are before us in this text this evening. And then if there's anybody listening that's not saved or somebody that is saved, but their life has, uh, has become a real mess because of some bad choices, decisions that they made, I pray this will be the night that they come back to Jesus, repent of their sin, seek God's forgiveness and purpose in their heart to live in a different way. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for quite a while now in our Wednesday evening services, we've been involved in a series of sermons from the New Testament book uh, of 2 Timothy. I'm calling this entire series of sermons, I'm calling it a manual for maturity. As we have noted as we've moved through these uh, these verses these chapters Paul is writing his final letter his final words to his young protégé by the name of Timothy. You know I got to thinking, you know, seems like every great leader in our Bible had a protégé, a a uh, an assistant so to speak. I thought about how Moses had a Joshua I thought about how Elijah had an Elisha. And then we come to our text, we find out that Paul has a young man by the name of Timothy. And as we read these words, what we're reading here literally is the male of the Apostle Paul. Paul. What we have before us tonight is a very personal, intimate letter between two people whose love for the Lord and whose love for each other runs very deeply. Paul, on a previous occasion, has made a visit to the city of Derby. He has preached the gospel probably there in the synagogue in Derby, and a young man gets gloriously saved by the grace of God by the name of Timothy. Sometime later, as Paul returns back into that same area, he finds that the church is abuzz about this young disciple named Timothy, and Paul takes him under his wings and makes him an associate in the ministry. And as of the writing of this letter, Paul now understands that his time on this earth is very short. So he writes to his young son in the faith, encouraging him as well as challenging him to be steadfast and and to stand fast in the work of the Lord. And if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we've really been anchored down in verse 1, down through verse number 5 of this great chapter. And Paul has been writing about the subject of the last days. You know, the one thing that I understand about this, Paul was very emphatic over the fact that he felt like that he and Timothy were living in a period of time known as the last days. And by the way, you and I have to remember that Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as he wrote those words, evidently he was living in a period of time known as the last days. In fact, Paul talked about that in verse 1 down through verse 5. He talked about the period of the last days. He talked about the peril of the last days, and then as we have talked about for the last several weeks, he's talked about the particulars of the last days. Now the thing that grips me about all of this is that if Paul believed that he and Timothy were living in the last days, how much more should you and I living 2,000 years beyond that now, how much more should you and I also believe that we are living in the last days? I think reading those verses, verse 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, we come to understand that what Paul wrote about the last days, as we read that, you'd almost think you're reading tomorrow morning's edition of the Winston-Salem Journal. I mean, man, if Paul was living in the last days, surely you and I must be living in the last of the last days. And as we come to these verses that I've read here tonight, Paul has some great words for Timothy as he lives out the last days. Paul understands his time is short. He's about to walk off the scene. He's about to give his life for the cause of Christ, but young Timothy will be left behind to deal with all of the upheaval of the last days. Paul wanted Timothy to be strong in the Lord and not be swayed by the culture or the society that he lived in. Paul wanted Timothy's faith to be firm, not fickle. He wanted his faith to be unmovable and and not undependable. And Paul says, Timothy, I encourage you now, hang on. Live right. Do right, and God will bless your life. You know, I think also as you and I live out these last days, we don't need to be swayed by the culture or the society that we're living in. I, I, I want our faith to be firm, not fickle. I want our faith to be movable, not undependable. Boys, we live out these last days. We ought to determine in our heart like never before that we are going to live for. God. And then as we come to these verses tonight, uh, there are three things Paul has a word for young Timothy regarding three things in our text here this evening. So here we go. Let's jump into these three things. First of all, Paul has a word for young Timothy regarding persecution from the world. Persecution from the world. Now, if you look at verse 10, Paul begins to describe himself as a person who has dedicated his life to the Lord. You know, they sang about God stepping in just a moment ago. We know where Paul met the Lord at. I mean, he recounted his testimony over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. We know the Lord, Paul met the Lord on the Damascus Road. And there was, as Paul journeyed uh, from uh, his home to Damascus, with letters in his hand to arrest some more of God's people, there was a revolution or a revelation of the Lord to Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. There was a revolution in his life but that, that revelation of the Lord Jesus led to a revolution in Paul's life. Paul was no longer the same after he met the Lord on the Damascus Road. Say, I wouldn't give you a half a hallelujah for a salvation that didn't change your life. And Paul's life was radically changed after he met the Lord. In fact, if you want to look there at verse 10, he mentions about six things there in verse 10, first part of verse 11, six things that just happened in his life when he got saved by the grace of God. First of all, notice what he says about his life. Look at verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine and manner of life. I think what Paul is talking about in his life, is just simply saying this, my doctrine wasn't contradicted by my manner of life. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I didn't preach one thing, and go out and live another thing. You know, in our culture today, that happens a whole lot. We say one thing and then go out and with our life, we live a completely different thing. But Paul said, my life has been one of consistency. What I have preached, I have practiced. My doctrine and my life agreed together. Then he goes on, not only to talk about his life, but he talks about his labor. Look again at verse 10, he talks about his faith, his purpose and his faith and his long-suffering. His, his, his life was consistent, his labor. He said, I was faithful to the Lord. Uh, he said, I was long-suffering in the work of God. And then he talks there in verse number 10 about his love. He talks there in verse 10 about his charity, his charity and his patience. Now, in the terminology of our day, Paul having said all that, the one conclusion that we would have to make about Paul was this. He was a sold-out child of God. I mean, man, his life was fully dedicated to the Lord. Can I say this about Paul? Paul was a man who put God first in his life. He is doing his best to live for the Lord. That didn't mean he didn't have struggles, didn't mean he didn't have some battles, because he did. But his chief ambition in life, His chief all-consuming desire was to please the Lord. That's the reason Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He said, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, in my Bible, I have a Scofield Bible, and Scofield has right out in his notes from the word accepted, he has the word well-pleasing. So let me read it to you like this. Fellas, we put that up again. Let me read it to you like this. It goes, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may, we may be well-pleasing to Him. You know, that ought to be our desires. we live out the last days, man, to please God. Just to hear those words when we get home to heaven, well done, my thou good and faithful servant. But he reminds Timothy that the, as you live for God, some things are going to happen. Look again now at verse number 11. And he talks about some difficulties that he's endured the difficulties that he's endured. Look at verse 11. Now he shifts and he starts talking about persecutions and afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, this, just because you live for the Lord doesn't mean that you won't face some difficulties and some persecutions in this walk of life. Paul mentions some things that's befallen him. For instance, there in verse 11, he talks about the persecutions and the afflictions that has came his way. We know from the book of Acts that Paul was a man who was, who was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten. He was falsely accused. He was jailed, and he was eventually even killed. Can I say this? The world doesn't appreciate a sold-out, Jesus-loving, Spirit-filled child of God. Never has Never will. In fact, can I tell you this? The world looks at it like a man who fully dedicates his li- his life to God. They look at it like that we're wasting our life. Remember when the lady in Mark 14, Mary, brought that alabaster box of ointment? No doubt she'd saved up for years and years and years. And she'd put aside money, maybe a little out of each paycheck, Finally, she had enough money to purchase that box of uh, of oil, that very precious box of ointment, and no doubt she was saving it for a very special day in her life. Maybe she was saving it for the day she got married. Maybe, buddy, when the day she gave herself to to her husband, she wanted to be anointed with that oil and all the sweet savor of it all. And yet the Bible said that Mary, on an occasion, brought that box of ointment and she broke it and she poured it out upon the Lord Jesus. And then the Bible said she got down at the feet of the Lord Jesus and began to wipe his feet with the hairs of her head. And then someone out of the crowd responded, Why was this waste of the ointment? Hey, can I tell you something? Anything we pour and lavish on the Savior is not a waste. It's an investment. Amen. Hey, a man that sells his life out for the cause of Christ, a man that fully dedicates himself to live for God, hey, he's not wasting his life, he's investing his life. I imagine that crowd that day, probably they would have been oohed and ah, if she'd have just walked into that meeting and screwed the top that that box of ointment and said, Jesus, hey, before you go, I want you to have a whiff of this. Oh, they said, boy, isn't she a good Christian? I mean, she wanted Jesus smell of that oil. Or maybe if she'd have done this, maybe tipped that box over and poured out a spoonful and took it over and dumped it on the head of Jesus. Everybody in there probably said, boy, isn't she a great Christian? Look at that. She'd give a spoonful of that ointment to Jesus. But buddy, when she broke it all, when she completely gave it all to him, somebody speaks up and said, man, what a waste. I want to say again, you and I, that try to live for God, though we struggle, though we have our battles, and we have our failures, I get that. We all have our moments. I want to tell you, you're not wasting your life. You're investing your life. And investing your life in the cause of Christ will always pay off in good dividends. I'll say it, amen and amen. The difficulties... He endured. I'll tell you again, the world never has, never will appreciate a man or a woman that sold out for the cause of Christ. The difficulties he endured. But then I like this. Notice the deliverance he experienced. Paul said this, man, I had it rough. Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Paul said it was rough. Timothy, I'm not going to lie to you. This world's not going to appreciate you. There's going to be some hard times, but there's one thing you can count on. And that's this. Look at the end of verse 11. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now, I want you to notice the phrase, out of them all. The Scripture doesn't say, doesn't say from them all. It simply says out of them all. Hey, can I tell you something? Be honest with you, living for God is not going to give you a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to persecutions and troubles. Oh, I know what the Joy Boys say on TV. I know what Joel Osteen and some of that crowd said. By the way, did you see that guy the other day that was going to blow the coronavirus away? Oh, Kenneth, was it Kenneth Copeland? He got on there and just breathing out, man, he's going to blow the coronavirus away. Can I ask you something? Where are these faith healers right now? Man, they ought to be setting up tents everywhere just calling, hey, y'all, come on in here. We'll take care of this for you. Brother, I'll tell you what, they're being exposed for the phonies that they are, friend. They're being exposed for what they are. But the Bible said here in our text here in verse number 11, the Lord didn't deliver him from them all, but he did deliver them out of them all. Being right with God and serving God don't exempt you from having trouble. Doesn't mean if you live for God, doesn't mean that your refrigerator won't break. It don't mean that you can't get sick, you won't get cancer, don't mean that your kids can't go bad, don't mean that your dog won't get run over. Living for God doesn't exempt you from those things. But thank God in the midst of all that, we got a friend who's going to walk with us. Amen. There's a trip on the ship, there's travail in the gale, but thank God there's a friend in the wind. Amen. And his name is Jesus. Can I say this about Jesus? Jesus didn't come into the world to get us out of trouble. Jesus came into the world to get in trouble with us. That's exactly, that is exactly right. If you want to know where Jesus is tonight, here's what you do. Go find somebody somewhere that's being persecuted for their faith, and I promise you this, somewhere nearby, you'll find Jesus. Amen. Aren't you glad we got one who will go with us who will not deliver us from them, but will go with us through all of our troubles. And Paul said, Timothy, I just want to tell you now, it's going to be rough, and it's going to get rougher. The farther and farther we go into these days, these last days, it's not going to get better. In fact, look at verse 13. Paul said this, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Doesn't sound like to me, and I don't mean to be a pessimist, I think we can still have revival. As long as God's on the throne, we can still have revival. Can I say it like this? If God can do it in the middle of the tribulation period, and we read in Revelation chapter 7 that there's going to be a host of people saved even in the tribulation period, that's like the grains of sand by the seashore. Thank God if He can do it in the middle of the tribulation period, He can do it in the the last days of God's grace, the dispensation of grace. God can do it. But can I tell you, it doesn't sound like me we're going to have some kind of worldwide revival. Does it? Not according to verse 13. Sounds like to me it's going to just keep getting worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Now, Timothy, it ain't going to get no better. This world doesn't appreciate you, doesn't appreciate the stand that you're trying to take, doesn't appreciate what I've done. Don't don't, don't worry about it, though. You're going to have some hard times, but count on one thing. Jesus will always be there with you in the time of your trouble. You know, that's one of the things that bothers me about all these churches today. I told you this. I was going to be negative tonight. Good night. I don't want to be. I just ate a piece of pie before I come to church to sweeten me up some. But can I tell you something? One of the things that bothers me, why in the world do churches today want to reach out and try to be friends with a world that hates our faith? Why in the world? Listen, I want to reach as many people in this world that I possibly can, but bless your heart, I'll be a monkey's uncle if I'm going to reach out and shake hands with the world that crucified my Savior and hates old-time religion. I'll be a monkey's uncle if I'm going to be a friend with the world that hates old-time religion, friend. No, sir. We're going to have some persecution from the world. Number two. This is going so good, let's just take it a step further. Not only do we read about Paul had a word regarding persecution from the world, Paul had a word about salvation for the wise. Salvation for the wise. Now look at verse 14. Here's what Paul says. Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Wise unto salvation. Now Paul said, Timothy, batten down the hatches, son. We're moving off into this period of the last days. There's going to be persecution from the world. But Timothy, don't worry. There's going to be salvation for the wise. Now, the Bible said there in verse number 14 and 15 that Timothy has been taught from a child. He has been taught from a child the Holy Scriptures. Now, I like that. You know what? I I think we've already learned back in chapter number 1 that Timothy's daddy was a Greek. We learned that in Acts 16, which seems to indicate that Timothy's daddy was not a believer. He was not a saved man. But old Timothy had a saved mama, and he had a saved grandma, His mama's name was Eunice. His grandma's name was Lois. And those two ladies together, they loved Jesus very much. And they taught young Timothy the Word of God. You know, my wife attributes the fact that she is saved and and married to a preacher today and trying to live right. We both are trying to please the Lord. But my wife attributes that to a godly grandmother. Miss Lisa's grandma, that they had in their life. A grandma that loved the Lord and prayed for her family. And the reason that my wife is saved today, she didn't have a mama and a daddy that loved Jesus. Her daddy died before she was born. And she didn't have a mama that loved the Lord. Her mama got saved years later, but she did have a godly grandma. And every time she said she'd go and spend the night at her grandma's house, her grandma would get down and beg the Lord to save her family. Thank God for some godly women and the influence that they have. Can I just say this, best thing we can do is to teach our children the Bible. You know, many times in many homes, the daddy's not saved. Most uh, And a lot of times, the daddy's an unbeliever, like in Timothy's family. But thank God for godly women. You know, men are supposed to be the leaders in their family, spiritual heads and leaders of the family. But oftentimes, that's not the case. You poor, precious ladies have to step up and fill that void that dear old man don't want to fill. But thank God for the ladies who will put into their minds of their children, into the heart of their children, the holy scriptures. You know, I say this often at funerals, you know, and and I'm a Baptist preacher, and a lot of Baptists don't even believe this anymore. I think the Southern Baptists are really struggling with this right now over whether the fact women are called to preach or not. This Beth uh, this Beth Moore, this so called self-promoted lady preacher. Man, a lot of Southern Baptist churches are opening their pulpit to this lady. Now, I have a real problem trying to find in our Bible where God calls a woman to preach. I can't find that in the Word of God. But you know what I think is true? I think in a real sense, every woman is a preacher. Now, hear me out before you cut me off. Hear me out for just a minute. Every woman is a preacher. Her church is her home. Her pulpit is her kitchen counter. And her congregation is her children. Amen. I tell you, some of the hottest sermons I ever heard preached in my life fell from the lips of my dear mama. And I tell you what, she would preach me to hell and back, and then when she started crying, that hurt me all the worse. I tell you, instead of hearing my mama cry and preach to me about doing what was right, I'd I'd rather have my daddy to whip me any day of the week. Than to watch her preach and cry to me. And I tell you, probably some of the best preaching I ever heard in my life, some of the preaching my wife's done to our children. That's right. I got some good outlines off some of that, be honest with you. And I tell you what, ladies, ladies, don't you don't you don't feel slighted. Just because God hadn't called you to publicly stand in a pulpit somewhere, I'm telling you, God gave you a ready-made congregation. Where are they going to go? I mean, man. Preach, tell them, get into them the Word of God. One of the greatest things any mother could ever do for their child, any grandmother could ever do, is get the Word of God in them while they are young. Get it in them. Put it inside of them. It'll never leave them. So says the Bible. Well, somebody said, preacher, that's why we bring our, over, our children over to church, so they can hear it from you. That's good. You keep bringing them, and I'll keep telling them. But I tell you, that they don't just need to hear that from me. They need to hear the Word of God from you as well. That needs to be something that's being taught inside the home. That's right. Educate them in the things of God. Now, you don't sit a little baby down, a little three-year-old baby, two-year-old baby, and start off in Revelation 13 with the Antichrist. I mean, that's not good. Don't go over there to the book of Daniel and start trying to teach them about the toes and the horns. I mean, that's gonna, they, they're not going to get any of that but i tell you what they will get. They'll get Samson and Delilah. They'll get David and Goliath. You don't start out teaching a young child dispensational truths, but give them the stories of the Bible. Hey, tell them about the love of God, and the older they get, the more in-depth you get in the teaching of the doctrines of the Bible. Teach them. The Bible said in verse 15 that the Word of God is wise, make you wise unto salvation. This Bible will give you wisdom, friend. It really will. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm as dumb as a box in the rocks, but I'm amazed at how many questions I can answer. On We have a game almost every night at our house when we watch Jeopardy, and we all three try to answer questions and see who can get the most questions. And if you miss one, you've got to take away one you got right. That's just how we play it. I am amazed at how many questions I can answer about history. I, I wasn't a good student in school whatsoever, but I'm just amazed how many I can answer. You know why? cause to read the bible. The bible will make you wise especially when it comes to the subject of salvation. You know there's three great messages this bible makes clear to us about salvation. First of all, the bible makes it very clear we are great sinners. Great sinners. Friend, there's not a little spark of goodness in all of us it just needs to be fanned and that fan, that, that little flame of Will just fire up become a fire of goodness? No, sir. That's not true. You know what the Bible said? The Bible says we're great sinners. But the Bible says Jesus is a great Savior. Aren't you glad? For, For the sinfulness of mankind, God had an answer in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus. We are great sinners. He's a great Savior. And because of Him, we can have a great salvation. The Bible will make you wise unto salvation. So Paul has a word regarding persecution from the world. Paul has a word regarding salvation for the wise. But look at verse 16 and verse 17. Paul had a word for Timothy regarding the inspiration of the word. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Now right there, believe this or not, verse 16 and verse 17, we find the author of Scripture. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Can I tell you something? Not part of the Bible, all of the Bible. I'm talking about from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. All the Bible. You say, preacher, what about those lists of just names after name after name? I didn't say all the Bible was interesting, but I did say all the Bible is inspired. Every word of the Bible is inspired by God. All Scripture was given to us by God, not just part of it. You know, in some people's Bibles, now, I don't have one like that, but in some, yeah, I do. Some people's Bibles, when you go through the four Gospels, you know, it has the words of Jesus in red, and then all the other words in black. You've seen Bibles like that before. And somebody reading that would say, oh, man, that's the, that red part, that's the Word of God. rest of it is just the Word of man. No, sir, friend. All Scripture is given to us by God. It's all the Word of God. All the Bible is inspired by God. He's the author of the Bible. Now, he used some 40 different men living on three different continents over a period of 1,500 years to give us the Bible, but it's all inspired by God. These, These men lived in different places, came from different backgrounds. Some were fishermen, others were farmers, some prophets, some kings, but God used these men. God literally Hold these men, I like to say it like this. The Bible said that hold him men of old first peter one twenty one spake as they were moved by god so here's like i here's how I like to imagine it i may be uh, I may be a little bit crazy, but here's how I like to imagine it. I like to imagine it like this as as for instance, Paul, as he wrote the word of God I, I want to say number one, God got a hold of paul's heart, and then having got a hold of paul's heart. God got a hold of Paul's head. And then having got a hold of Paul's heart and Paul's head, God got a hold of Paul's hand. And he wrote as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, friend, around here at Woodland, we don't try to raise question marks about the Bible. We place exclamation points by it. It is, in fact, the Word of God of God he is the author of the Bible but then we read in verse 17 about the aim of the Bible now what is the aim of the Bible simply this verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect mature truly furnished fully outfitted fully supplied with everything necessary to bring about good works in his life can I say this as we wrap things up this morning uh this evening thank God for the Bible. Boy, I'd hate to be caught up in these last days with all that's going on, all this talk about digital money and, and, uh, and these uh, quantum dot tattoos that we're fixing, all that's fixing to come about. Boy, aren't you glad we got a Bible? Aren't you thankful that as we live out these last days, we don't have to suffer from headline hysteria? There are those who are afraid. There are those who don't know enough to be afraid. And then there are those who know the Bible. And thank God for the Bible. I read this this week back during the days of the Pony Express. and Many of you may have heard about that, the Pony Express. They would travel from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California. That was a trip of some 1,900 miles. And what they did along the way, they had different stations. Forty stations between uh, Saint Joseph, Missouri, and Sacramento, California. That Pony Express. And what they would do is these at these forty different stations were forty different riders, and their job, their their responsibility was to get on the horse and ride fifty miles to the next station that day. That was their job. Now understand this: as they rode upon these horses, they were uh, uh, they were. Uh, uh, they were clothed in the lightest clothing possible and the horses wore the uh, the lightest shoes possible uh, as they as they made these 50 mile journeys from one station to the next station 40 different riders 50 miles a day they were required to uh, to cover but the thing about these guys on this pony express they wouldn't allow, allow them to ca- carry guns i mean if you rode on the pony express if you were one of the riders you couldn't carry a gun But every one of those men were given a copy of the Word of God. So instead of giving them a a six-shooter like Clint Eastwood, how many of y'all like Clint Eastwood? I know you do. Now, don't go watch him right now. I didn't mean for that. But they they didn't give him a Bible, they didn't give him a gun. But in every hand of one of those riders, they placed the Word of God. Or they were asked one time, the, the leaders of the company, they were asked, why are your riders not outfitted with guns but required to carry the Bible? And here was their answer. They said if there's trouble along the way, we can't think of anything better than have than the Word of God. If there's trouble along the way, there's nothing better you can have than the Word of God. Boy, I'll tell you something. There's going to be some trouble now along the way. I think right now we're in the first stage of moving things toward the end right now. I really believe that. This emergency and this one emergency, we've shut down an entire nation. We've closed up our churches. Buddy, I'm I'm fearful of where we're headed, but I promise you this, right after this emergency, there's going to be another one. And where do we draw the line now? Where do we stop? I'm telling you we're heading toward the end these are days of great trouble but aren't you glad there's nothing better we can have than a copy of the bible as we lead, as we head off into these troublesome days well, let's bow our heads for prayer father